Welcome back to Amplifying Voices, a FAC anthology podcast on partisan politics, policies, history, people, and California community colleges. The podcast is brought to you by the Communications Committee for the Faculty Association of California Community Colleges. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Tripp. My co-host from De Anza College and post-production extraordinaire, Amy Lettern is here. Hello, great to be back, Ryan. For the first part of our Native American Heritage Month episode sequence, we're chatting with co-leads and Native American Studies faculty from the College of the Canyons. During the interview, we'll explore the college's Native American and Indigenous Alliance, as well as the subsidized expansion of their Native American Student Support and Success Program. This expansion was very important to them. Uh, Welcome, Wendy and Lori, to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Hello, thank you. It's exciting to be here. So, to start things off, uh, if possible, please first provide uh, brief self-introductions, including your past to the College of the Canyons. My name is Lori Solis. Um, I actually started at College of the Canyons as a student uh, back in 1991, and I was hired as an adjunct instructor in 2005. Hi, I'm Wendy Trujillo. I'm the Director of Advertising and Social Media. I started at College of the Canyons as um, one of our financial aid and student specialists back, uh, well, it'll be 20 years ago in February. So I've been with the college for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. Once I... um, Once there was an opportunity in the public information office, and my degree is in advertising, uh, once there was an opening, I applied for and have been working in the public information office ever since. And um, one of the nice things about Colleges of the Canyons is that there's a lot of opportunities to do things outside of your wheelhouse. And so that's kind of how I ended up getting involved with the Native American and Indigenous Alliance. Thanks for the responses. Wendy, what were some of the circumstances that culminated in the establishment of the Native American and Indigenous Alliance? What were and are NAIA's goals? Great questions. So, um, you know, during the pandemic, actually just before the pandemic, um, it closed everything down. We were working on getting an intercultural center at the time. It's called the Multicultural Center at College of the Canyons. And so there was a lot of work going into that. And they uh, decided one of the things they wanted to do uh, for the center is to build alliances. And alliances are um, groups that provide space and resources and information for certain marginalized groups or groups that need the extra support. And at the time, um, I wasn't really involved in the Intercultural Center, but then the pandemic hit and there was a lot of civil unrest. As we know, um, there was it was a time of, you know, um, I was really looking for some way to give back. And I'm 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 not a marcher. I'm not somebody who participates necessarily in protests, but I wanted to in some way support um, support a group specifically at College of the Canyons that needed needed that support. And so um, I, I gave it a lot of thought and I talked to the Intercultural Center and I asked, do we have a Native American um, and or Indigenous Alliance put together yet? And they said, no, would you like to do that? <laughs> and so I said, sure. You know, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I am myself not Native American or Indigenous that I know of, but I grew up in an environment where Native American culture has a huge influence. Everything from food to architecture, fashion, jewelry, um, and history in, in New Mexico is heavily Native American influenced. And so 
it's always been an interest of mine. It's always been a, a group of people that I have uh, a lot of respect for. Um, so when the opportunity came to create an alliance that would specifically support, excuse me, support that campus community, I was all in. And I knew when I started it that I didn't have the expertise or the experience to take it very far. I knew that eventually I was going to have to uh, create the space and then give it over to somebody with more expertise than I had to take it further. That was always the goal. Um, and so for the first couple of years, especially because it was during the pandemic and everyone was on Zoom, it was really hard to get it started. Um, and then last year, we had um, a lot more students on campus. We had a lot more faculty and staff come back. And I got I had a lot more interest from people that were not only interested in participating in the alliance, but helping lead it. Um, I, we have another co-lead, Michael Felix, who's one of our history instructors, and he has a wealth of knowledge about um, the history in our country um, between Native Americans and, um, and, and America today as we know it. And so he's been an invaluable resource. He, he jumped on board about a year ago. Um, and then we had um, Lori jump on board this last semester and I have to say the Alliance has gone from being just kind of a, a sleepy little, you know, uh, information group to this huge juggernaut of uh, information and advocacy and events. And it's been so incredibly gratifying and exciting to see it just take off the way that it has. Um, you know, our goals when we first started were really simple. They were they were to to make sure that the campus community knew we were there and we were offering support and resources. They were also um, for the future to grow our Native American staff and faculty, as well as to make a space on campus for Native American students so that we could attract more of that community to our campus. That's really great. So Lori, on that note, uh, can you address some of your teaching roles in anthropology, perhaps uh, archaeology, I'm presuming indigenous archaeology at College of the Canyons? Uh, I know you authored a number of publications, including a ZTC textbook on Native Americans in California. Uh, again, uh, I would, you know, all, all those topics or a couple of those topics uh, would be great for you to engage with uh, for our listeners. Well, um, I've been a professional archaeologist um, since 1998. And uh, my focus is on the prehistory of the Great Basin um, in, of California and, of course, Southern California. So that's always been my focus. And as a result of that, I've worked with a lot of the indigenous tribes of California just as part of uh, public archaeology or what we call cultural resource management. That's sort of how I got involved in archaeology and then started working closely with Native groups because they obviously have a vested interest in the stuff that archaeologists are digging up or potential impacts to uh, their sites um, as a result of development. And so that's how that facilitation sort of came about. And then um, when I got the teaching job at, um, at College of the Canyons, it was as an adjunct instructor and so I've been a professional archaeologist as well as an adjunct instructor for all of these years. And that's how I've kind of melded the two. Um, I've taught archaeology. I primarily 
have taught also the the indigenous peoples of California class, which was called the Indians of California. Um, I authored a book in 2008 called Tataviam, People Who Face the Sun, which was the first book on the Tataviam people, which are our local Native American um, tribal group. Um, at the time that I wrote that book, a lot of places wouldn't sell the book, which just you know, was fine with me, but they said they wouldn't sell it because the Tataviam people were extinct. And so it's actually been really just a fascinating journey to go from in 2008, I had people telling me the Tataviam are extinct, to now at College of the Canyons, we actually have a land acknowledgement and the tribe has, has really, you know, they, they've done such wonderful things for their community. They've been recognized by the state. They've been recognized by the city of Los Angeles. Um, and so then I was fortunate enough to work with the Tataviam as a tribal monitor, uh, representing them on certain sites. And then I was also a founding member of their land conservancy, which seeks to um, be able to have opportunities to utilize um land um, in their traditional homeland and either have land um, deeded to them or just given free use or, you know, how, however, but um, I think that was, that's very important. And also decolonizing space um, has been important for them as well. So that's sort of the objective of the land conservancy. Um, I actually, I authored the textbook, the free textbook that you mentioned here, um, the California's First People book. And I did that because the first textbook I wrote was, it's actually quite expensive. And I wanted there to be a free textbook. Um, as far as how it's organized, there's a number of ways that we sort of categorize, I say we um, as anthropologists have categorized native cultures of California in the past. You can do that by language group, um, you know, a different religious or spiritual, you know, uh, groupings and things like that. But this is done by um, geographical region and ecological use of the land. And so that's how it's organized, which I think given the focus of native cultures on the ecology, I think is is a more user-friendly way of, of looking at our California tribal cultures. Um, and I say cultures because there's not just one California Indian culture. There have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of California Indian cultures. And I think it's important to, to recognize that as well, that there's, you know, each cultural group of California has, you know, their own religion, um, their own subsistence patterns, their own traditions. Um, Every, everything. So I think that's important and that's how it's uh, organized. I completely support your, uh, your, all of your statements, especially your concluding statements. Yeah, very much so. Our College of the Canyons recently received a sizable grant to expand your Native American Student Support and Success Program. What is this program and who is involved in securing the grant? Um, I can answer that. So I wasn't involved in securing the initial portion of the grant. Uh, that goes to Diane Fierro and Fiscal Services, um, which 
they obtained the first portion of the grant. And we're currently in the process of getting the second portion of the grant. So we actually have that due <laughs> very, very soon so that we can get the funding um, for the next. Uh, so it's a five-year grant and um, we're going to hopefully get the other half of it. So we're submitting that right now. And so I'm involved in securing that. NASP is the Native American Student Success and Support Program Grant. It was part of a, I'm trying to remember, it was part of a bill that was signed uh, into California law, and it has now become part of our education code in California law, and it's supposed to support, at once implemented and implemented correctly, um, it supports pathways to college for Native American and Indigenous students in California, and it's very exciting. Um, because I think that Native American students are sort of invisible in the campus community. Um, I've, I've had students over the years say things like, well, we don't have Native Americans here. Um, you know, I don't see any <laughs> on campus. They'll, they'll say things like that. And, I'll, and I think that's very interesting. So it's just sort of that they're they're sort of invisible. They tend to get lumped with other groups. Um, but at College of the Canyons, we have over 400 um, Native American students that self-identifies, and that's a sizable amount. And in fact, California has the highest population of Native Americans in the United States. People will think it's New Mexico or Arizona or Oklahoma. It's California. And then, in fact, L.A. County has the highest percentage of Native Americans in the state. So we do have a large Native American population. We do have a lot of Indigenous students that need to be served and will be served by this grant. So it's very important. So thank you. Uh, I, I actually born and raised in L.A., and I can attest to that. Uh, so this... Uh, next question actually speaks to the process of obtaining the grant. I know you said it was uh, fiscal services uh, for the first half, but uh, if you could, if uh, you know, uh, Lori or Wendy or both can um, address the, you don't have to go step by step here, but um, just generally uh, how for faculty and staff who wish to pursue such grants, do you have uh, any advice? I know the second half is pending, but do you have any advice or do you want to address certain issues that arose or think, you know, advice that actually facilitated for you? Uh, that would, I think, be very beneficial for our listeners. Well, I can speak to some grants in general, um, I've worked in other capacities where I was able to get like a Save America's Treasures grant um, for um, the rehabilitation of the Vickery Brunswick building and the Plaza House at Alvera Street because I worked on that project. Um, and I think it's just if people are interested in obtaining grants, um, the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Science Foundation, they give out a number of grants. There's, in fact, there's a lot of unclaimed funds. I think it's just important to seek out who's giving out grants, which I do on a regular basis. Professors can even get things like summer stipends 
of about $5,000. And then it, it'll say, you know, output, you know, like you have to write an article or a book, you know. And so um, the opportunities are there. There's a lot of um, uh, college opportunities. You know, you can get grants for your college. You can get it for your department. So I think it's just, you know, seeking out these grants. The federal government gives out a number of them. And then just making sure that you do talk to fiscal services, um, that they help you plan your budget. I think that's really important, especially when, you know, these are like if they're large funds, like if you're asking for $70,000 or a million dollars or something, you definitely will need fiscal services involved. And then making sure you just get everything in early, have other people review it first too. And also it's it's not a bad thing to ask whoever you're submitting your grant to, if they will look it over before your final submittal and say, is this what you're looking for? And most of the time they'll say, yeah, I'll be happy to look it over for you. And I'll tell you what pieces we're looking for, or what's missing, or can you change, you know, and then you can just tweak it a little bit and see if you're on the right path for your final submittal. Um, they have, and the thing is they have the funds available. So it's not that they don't want to give it to you. <laughs> they want to get rid of this money that they've been allocated. Their job is to give it away. <laughs> But you also just have to meet their objectives. So I just say communicate with them and, and definitely seek them out. Um, I mean, so I mean that's as much advice as I think I can give just in general for these types of grants. I'd like to add just a little something as well from sort of a thirty thousand foot level. You know, um, one of the 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 ways that we were able to obtain this grant was the fact that we could show we had already started doing some work. So it's that whole like if you build it, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes you don't have to have a really detailed department or effort already underway. If you just show that you are you are just starting out and you have the the staff and the desire to actually pursue um, some of the initiative initiatives of these grants, uh, that's that's all they're looking for. It doesn't have to be complicated. That's really helpful to know. Um, so just looking broadly, since you said you're going to be uh, applying for the second portion of this grant. What do you want to do with the money if you get it? Where where you want to take your programs? What are some of the big dreams that you guys want to do uh, going forward at College of the Canyons? Basically, the NAS program for now will also support NIA, so it'll support the Alliance, but it's also going to support other things. So there's certain components to the grant that have to be met. So it's things like K through 12 outreach, um, through like curriculum support, outreach support. It's partnering with the local indigenous community, like the Fernandinho Tataviam Band of Mission Indians, um, and their affiliated nonprofits like Paku and Tusaint and Tuvakai, which can um, have culturally relevant programming at the college, um, support like things like um, career training, job training, job placement. Um, and, and culturally relevant learning, um, and just that kind of support that Native students need. So there's certain objectives of the grant um, that speak to that and increase graduation rates, um, have uh, Native, Amer like expand the Native American Studies program. So like right now we have my, my 210 class, but we do wanna get the history class sort of out of mothballs where it's been and just, 
offer more culturally relevant material. We've also partnered with United American Indian Involvement, which supply that provides like health services and job training and job placement assistance. And so they're actually going to be on campus November 13th from 10 to 2. And so again, it's a lot of like partnering to facilitate um, an increase in graduation rate and and native retention in college. That's awesome. And I so, think, sorry, I just want to add real quick as well, for me as an ally, I think it's really important to continue to expand the information that we're providing to the campus, because the more people that are non-Indigenous know about Indigenous Native American people, the more, the easier it is for um when when things are asked for, when advocacy happens, um, advocacy especially is so important. People, if they understand what the struggles are, if they understand what the history is, they're more likely to vote for legislation, right, that supports these groups. Exactly. That's totally true. So uh, this question, next question speaks to uh, some of the, uh, you've already alluded some of, to some of your accomplishments uh, and, it, you know, in terms of both NEA and what's going on with the uh, Native American Student Support and Success Program, uh, if you can elaborate on any of your accomplishments, as well as any kind of difficulties uh, you faced in uh, not just implementing uh, NEA, but the beginnings of the Native American Student Support and Success Program. Lori, do you want to do you? <laughs> I, I mean, know you if you want to any... talk about Naya first. <laughs> yeah, I can talk about Naya first and then we can okay. go into the grant. Sure. Okay. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges we had when Naya started was um getting people involved. I mean, we still we still are growing the alliance. And I think part of that is because um, number one, um, you know, our Native American identifying community is very small on the campus. You know, you know, Lori mentioned we've got over 400 students that identify in some way, self-identify as Native American, but what are their connections to their Native American heritage? Um, you know, many of them may not have any connection at all. They just know that they have Native American in their ancestry. And so one of the challenges, the biggest challenges is to, um, continue to make people aware that we offer resources and we offer um, activities and we offer information and that um, it's it's important for those with Native American ancestry and, and, and welcomed for them to participate on campus and to embrace that part of their history. So that's been one of our biggest challenges is, get, is getting participation. And, um, you know, I think historically, it's been detrimental for this population to identify as, you know, um, uh, follow through with with um, uh, voicing their heritage, because all that that's all that's happened to them has been, you know, um, they've been cataloged and they've been put on reservations and they've been um, mistreated. And so it's not really within their wheelhouse to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm Native American. I want to pursue resources. Yeah, I'll definitely. I definitely agree with that. That's that's a really important point. You know, we had uh, the genocide in this country um, where over a million dollars was paid to Indian hunters um, for actually killing Native people. And I think that that is a legacy that has stayed within the indigenous community, where particularly in California, um, if you identified as Mexican instead of Indian, that actually could 
have saved your life. And since they had Spanish last names, there were a lot of people that ended up rediscovering the fact that they were actually California Indians. Um, and so that's a really important point. That legacy of keeping silent about who you are um, has, has definitely stayed. So I think that's definitely true. Um, as far as implementing the program, since this sort of got up and running, you know, we were uh, at the powwow, uh, the heart powwow, not too long ago. And there's just out of that, I mean, I think there's just been such an outpouring of support from the indigenous community that, you know, groups have sort of just like rushed to say, like, how can we support you guys? How, how, how can we help? And so I was outreached um, by a lot of groups that will be partnering with us. And so I feel like as far as implementing the program as a larger program, um, I, I don't think that I've run into any any uh, barriers yet so far. I know that I will, but <laughs> as, it, as it moves forward, but there's been just such an outpouring of support. Um, and I've, I'm so grateful for that. I think it's something that we needed, something that people wanted. My students are so excited. We have so many activities planned for November. We have acorn grinding. We have wild horse dancers with free fry bread. We have an atlatl demonstration. We have United American Indian involvement coming. And I was even contacted by Metro um, they're going to be doing the East San Fernando Valley connector and they want to assist with sort of like job training and, and everything. And so it's, again, it's been a lot of support. So in that way, um, I'm just, I'm, I feel very fortunate. And of course, Wendy and Michael have been just awesome support network for me. I wouldn't be doing this without them at all. Oh, I feel the <laughs> same way. <laughs> <laughs> What is one tip, like looking forward for other campuses across the, the uh, community college districts of California, what tips do you have to for them to expand their Native American presence or reach out to their Native American students so that there's more visibility across all of the campuses? I think that, I mean, doing sort of like what Wendy and Michael have done, I think it starts with just starting an alliance and, you know, providing a venue for students to come that have an interest or that identify as, as native. I think, again, it's just sort of that, that foundation of, of be, recognizing your identity or just expressing a real interest in native culture and learning about it. Um, I think that's the foundation for where things get started as Wendy, as Wendy said, and then from there, you can sort of build your program because you can demonstrate that there's an interest. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I also have to say, from my perspective as an ally, you don't have to be somebody who's who is is an expert or well versed even in the the student group that you're supporting. Um, you just have to have a passion for it, and if you make the space, other people will be, you know, inclined then to come fill that space with you. That's really great information and really important for anybody who wants to be an ally, because I think sometimes people don't step in because they don't want to step on people's toes. But if nobody steps in then there's no way for it actually to get started. I do have a actually follow up question uh, in terms of your your programs. Uh, is it are, are they geared to uh, 
just uh, California tribal or are there uh, native native students that you know of from other states or even from uh, other countries, particularly Central and South America? In other words, what's the, what would be the scope of uh, NIA and uh, subsequently NAS? So uh, I can start to answer that and then Lori, please chime in. Um, we actually have, uh, you know, we actually have quite a few staff members who identify as indigenous from other countries. And so that's an actual, that's a really exciting part of our alliance. And we try to make the point that, yes, while we are starting local, which it's very important to start local and to support your local um, your local organizations, eventually the, the, the purpose of the alliance is to be inclusive. And it is to include anyone who is Native American and or indigenous. And so we've talked about that. You know, we have had gatherings where we've talked about what is it to be indigenous and what does that mean? And because a lot of people don't think of themselves as indigenous if they come from another country, but they identify with, you know, the the first people of that country um, that their ancestry and their traditions and their history have all been passed down through their family. It's really important that we support um, that group as well. And so we do we we do try to support that group. It's just a much larger conversation that we hope to get to. Definitely. I, I mean, that's a very important point. Um, when we say, you know, Native American and Indigenous, that um, those terms, they sound interchangeable with American Indian. Um, but American Indian is a political term, and that has to do with what's written down in the treaties between the federal government um, and that particular tribal group. So that's a like a legal term, American Indian. Um, there are some tribes that are not federally recognized, and those federal unfederally recognized tribes um, are referred to as Native American. So you can be a Native American, you know, you can have Native American heritage, like if you do your, you know, DNA and find out you have Native American. Um, but American Indian is a legal term. So under NAS, um, it's it's American Indian and Native American, and that's how it's called out under the NASP program. So it doesn't just mean that it's serving California's Native American or American Indian population, it means it's geared towards American Indians. It's that's sort of what it's geared towards. And I don't know. If, so during the Relocation Act in the 1950s, um, there were a number of American Indians that came into California from other states. So I've even been contacted by people who are Choctaw, people who are Comanche, and so they would be served under this program because we do have a high population of American Indians in the state of California that are here as part of the Relocation Act. So they are also our American Indian community, not just, you know, our, our local California Indians, but also those that were here because of the Relocation Act. The, just by way of explanation, my my students were discussing, uh, comparing and contrasting uh, nativity, ideas of nativity and ingenuity. Um, and uh, I, I will tell you at the U, you probably you know this, but the UN level became like this major, major like issue. So, um, and then also for pers personal and professional uh, reasons, my uh, my back, my father's background as well. Uh, so, do you have uh, anything else to add, either of you? 
I I think we've covered a lot of things. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. We always appreciate the opportunity to talk about what we're doing on campus and the space that we're providing. You know, there's a lot of campuses, there's a lot of schools out there that came before us and are doing amazing work um, that we have, you know, looked at as we put together our alliance and as we get this grant up and going on, on campus. So um, it's it's, we appreciate those campuses who have been, guiding lights for us. And we also are excited to hopefully be an inspiration to other campuses that might be looking to put something like this together. And we really appreciate you guys coming on and talking to us today and giving us insight into how other community colleges could also pick up this work and help with visibility for Native American students on their campuses. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And please follow us on Instagram, COC Naya, if you're interested in participating in any of our activities. All right. Well, that does it for this episode, folks. Wendy and Lori, thanks for joining us graciously. Thank you for having Thank us. You for having us. All right. Uh, Amplifying Voices is a production of the Fact Communications Committee. Please, if you so are so inclined, tune in next time. Thanks for joining us.